Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read The Season by Jonah Lisa Dyer and Stephen Dyer. And I read Pemberley, Mr. Darcy's Dragon by Maria Grace. This is Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And I'm starting off high energy because it's a high energy kind of night, baby. Yeah, buddy. It's 8.08 on a Friday and we're recording a podcast because we just finished our books, baby. It is 8.08 and we're here with some digital beats. We are here. We did not have a theme at all for the last episode or after the last episode. Uh, and until Susan revealed to me what book she had picked for me, we did not have a theme. And then fate stepped in. And by fate, I mean a young, I assume, Swedish woman. Uh, Swiss. Swiss. All right, listen. She's not Swedish. She's it's, definitely not Swedish. It's high energy. She's from Switzerland. Loyal listener Laura from Switzerland. It's high energy for a reason. And I also messed up the two SW countries for a reason. I'm sorry. I'm relatively well-traveled and well-educated. Yeah, well. So thanks yeah, to relative. Laura, we wound up having a theme. Yes, we did. And so she had no idea. That is the weirdest part. Because we did not shout it out in the bit. But Susan picked. I got Mick a book called The Season, which is a modern day retelling of Pride and Prejudice. The reason I picked it out is that based on the description on the book, it did not seem to have anything in common with the plot of Pride and Prejudice at all, which I thought was hilarious. So I got it from Mick. Very funny. On the other hand, I hate... Uh, those types of books and so I did a very bad job trying to come up with a, a version to prank Susan with lolily uh, and so I got her a book called Meg and Joe a modern retelling of little women and then as she was checking it out the librarian said to her oh yeah you're like you're picking this up too or something to that effect yeah she said this one seems to be really good a lot of people have gotten it lately and Which I was is like, dot, 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 exclamation mark, because that's not what's supposed to happen with Bibliovile books. And then as she was reading it, I could tell from her, you know, reading it. My demeanor. Your demeanor, your accoutrement. That's not the right word. That's not the right word at all. Uh, that it was going well. Yeah, it was actually a really nice, sweet book. I really like it, and I'm probably going to finish it. Yeah. So... We can't have you know, that. Yeah, you can't have that on Bibliovile. Shit on me, right? And so it just so happens that Laura DMs me, or I think ats me, ats me a uh, recommendation. Uh, and Susan, would you like to sum up the general plot of your book that just so happened to fall into my lap? Just perfect? The book that Laura randomly suggested, it's not called this, but the plot is Pride and Prejudice and Dragons. How? You know how we joke about Big Brother like reading our Amazon recommendations? Yeah. Does she have access to our library card recommendations? No, I think it's just fate. I think we were destined to read these books together because, Michael, I have an idea. What? Okay. Mm -hmm. Here's my idea. Instead of doing the normal thing where I talk about my book first and then you talk about your book in the last half of the episode or vice versa, 
since we read different versions of the same book, what if we just talk through the plot points of Pride and Prejudice? Oh, no. And then talk about how our book handled such things. Okay, well, here's the problem. I don't know what Pride and Prejudice goes That's like. okay. I, I will be the guide to take us on You'll this journey. You'll be the Mr. Darcy to my... Um, sure. Mrs. I'll, Darcy. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be Aunt and Uncle Gardner. <laughs> okay, sure. They sure I'll do grow all, a I'll lot of stuff. be our guide and protector as we navigate this story. Here's the thing, though. What's my book, book, as is your want, is part of a trilogy. Yeah, so I didn't get through the want, whole thing. Unlike my want, though. It's the first one. It's the first book in the but trilogy. But here's the thing. That's because that it's means, Laura's want. That means that I didn't get through... Mm. all of the plot so i will only be able to give my version of the plot for about the first third i have a feeling though the fact that dragons are involved will will provide yeah there's a probably going to be enough uh just for just for full clarity i have indeed seen the kiara knightley version of pride and prejudice because every time you talk about kiara knightley your your chin has to stick out about 18 inches I have in the last two weeks watched You've been the Kira Knightley version and watched the six-part BBC version from the 90s with Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy, and it was delightful. And you've also watched another thing that's like Pride and Prejudice, where a bunch of rich people go to each other's houses. Oh, Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Yeah. Not plot points in any way, but just a delightfully sexy and ridiculous show. Yeah, I... There's a, a sex scene, like a 15-minute-long sex scene set to a classical... That's too long for a sex scene. Her. It's Ooh, a sex, I've, I've sold myself out. It's a sex montage set to Taylor Swift, a classical version of Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams. It's incredible. There's a, a portmanteau in there for sex montage, and you can't find it. <laughs> I feel like it's... What's uh, the French word for a threesome? Menage. Menantage. Yeah, there uh, it is. Thank you for help. Anyway, so... Anyway, fuck the, that. The sort of premise as we introduce Pride and Prejudice and as we each introduce our books, the premise is that there is a family, the Bennett family, with five daughters, a kind of ridiculous mother, and a kind of crotchety old dad. Um, and the, the Bennett family, you know, it is, it is well known that a man with good fortune must be in want of a wife. Indeed. So the, the mom is trying desperately to get their, their five daughters married off because the, um, their estate long born cannot be inherited by a female heir. Yes. So because they don't have any sons... When Mr. Bennett dies, Longbourn is going to go to their cousin, Mr. Collins. And so that's sort of our, like, opening plot point of actual Pride and Prejudice. What sort of your books take on this? Now, here's the problem with your setup, Susan. When mm -hmm. you came up with this setup, I don't think you thought that this book would be a book I was going to recommend to you. Was it that good? It's really... Yeah, it's pretty dang good. It's not a book I want to read or will ever read again. But I think it's a book that you're going to want to read. And I don't okay. want to spoil how... Like, this is also... This is the yin and yang. Yeah. I don't want to completely talk about it because I don't want to ruin it for you. But at the same time, it's Pride and Prejudice. And so you know exactly how it's yeah, going to go. Yeah, I know how it's going to go. And so I don't want to... You're not really going to be, like, spoiling well, the plot for me. Well, no, why not? Because how exactly handsome military man is a bad man is is still up in the air. Okay. 
Well, maybe you don't reveal all of the details, right, but what's we'll, sort of the basic premise? Right, like, right, is right. this a, or do we still have the family with the five so daughters? we have a family, the Aberdeens, instead of the <laughs> family, the Bennetts, the Bennetts uh, that are in the book, and we have, they have two daughters. Only two? five. What are their daughters' names? Their daughter, instead of Elizabeth, we have Megan, our main character, our Kira Knightley, okay. and instead of Jane, we have Julia, our, the other one. We don't have the younger sisters at all? We do not have the younger sisters at all. Uh, these, the thing that I find the funniest about changing the names from Elizabeth to Megan and from... The other one to Julia. Jane to Julia. Jane to Julia. Is that like, this takes place in Texas in 2016, and those names would not have been that far off for two Texan girls in 2019. Or Elizabeth and Jane, you mean? Elizabeth and Jane, yeah. yeah. Lizzie and Jane, right? Yeah. Lizzie, for goodness sakes. It's a very yeah. Texan name. And so I thought it was kind of funny that they went ahead and changed it all out. Uh, but instead of having just a manor house with a bunch of chickens that uh, is led, you're led to believe uh, they have a ranch naturally that grows cows. And of is course, because they live in Texas. It they is, grow cows? Yeah, they grow cows. Many head. Uh, and they are being infringed upon by Dallas sort of urban sprawl. Uh, and they are under pressure to sell to fracking uh, interests, Ooh, which is a modern twist that I enjoy. Okay. And so it's like, it's kind of funny or kind of nice because it, and I think this is the best part of Pride and Prejudice is that in order to write a Pride and Prejudice book, you have to acknowledge the good and the bad in everybody because mm -hmm. the entire conflict of Elizabeth Bennet <laughs> is that she sees only the bad in everybody and tells you the reader about the bad in everybody or the great in everybody. Yeah. And only near the end does she kind of recognize like, oh, there's, there's great and bad in everybody. And so I think that this book does a good job with it where, uh, for example, the ranch, the dad wants to sell the ranch. Yeah. He just doesn't want to sell it to fracking companies because they're going to, like, destroy the whole thing, right? And so he's looking for a way out that's not a fracking company. And I think that that's a good little uh, nuance in the in the initial yeah. plot. Okay. What about you have dragons? Yeah. Do you want the background for my book? Yes. Long ago, back in the age of St. Columba, dragons oh, ravaged our land. For hundreds of years, man and beast were at war. Man against man, dragon against dragon, dragon against man. Chaos reigned. Wow. In the year 900, hmm. it seemed as though the dragons would wipe out the race of man in the British Isles. If only. As, uh, blah, 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 but Uther, 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 Pendragon rose to the throne. That's Arthur. He was unlike any man born before him, for he was able to hear the dragons. That's Arthur's name. King Arthur. Uther? Well, it's Arthur Pendragon. Pendragon, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so everyone else heard the dragons roar as loud and terrifying like thunder in a storm, but, when, but what Uther perceived was different. He heard them speak. Some spoke in very high, shrill notes that sounded like the whine of a hummingbird's wings. That's still not words, though. So that is our background. There's dragons, because it's Pride and Prejudice and Dragons. What's the actual title of it? Pemberley. Pe Mr. Why? Darcy's Dragon. Because Pemberley is the name of Mr. Darcy's estate in Pride uh, and Prejudice. Fucking and in this team. book, all of the estates have a dragon. It's called a major dragon, and it lives on the estate. And so does some people know that there are dragons, and some people don't. And the people that know about the dragons are called keepers, and they have dragon mates. And Mister Bennett is a keeper of a dragon called Longbourn because they live on Longbourn Estate. 
And um, only two of his five daughters can hear dragons. It's Elizabeth, of course. And then also, and this is one thing that I actually really liked, Mary can hear dragons, too. Oh, Mary. Mary. And this was actually one thing that I really liked I about this Mary book. Is. Mary is the middle daughter. The, the musician. musician. Oh. Yeah. Um, that is actually one thing that I liked because I feel like every adaptation of Pride and Prejudice sort of forgets about or disregards Mary. And this one was like, nah, Mary just needs some confidence, so we're going to give her a dragon. <laughs> yes, does this seem overly complicated to you that they're trying to do both dragons and also Harry Potter at yeah, the same time? exceptionally overly complicated. So Just like Victorian era literature. Yeah, so um, one of sort of the next things that happens in Pride and Prejudice is that uh, a new some new people move into the community, right? Netherfield Park is let at last by Mr. Bingley, a very charming mm, rich man who makes five thousand pounds per year. The guy, <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> the guy who looks like uh, Dominic. Oh, Dominic Monaghan. No, that's Billy the Boy? Hobbit. Yeah, it's the Hobbit. The guy who looks like the dude who runs the First Order in the Star Wars movies. Fuck. Whatever, the redhead. He's a I redhead. can't help you out with this one. He's a redhead. So he moves to uh, Netherfield Park movie. alongside his two sisters um, and his friend, Mr. Darcy. Wait, the redhead has two sisters in the book? In the book, yes. One is married to a Mr. Hurst, and then the other is Caroline Bingley, who you saw in the movie, who's terrible. So, Mick. Yes. How do we encounter, is there a Mr. Bingley equivalent? Yes. Is there a Mr. Darcy equivalent? Is there a Caroline Bingley equivalent? <laughs> no, it's equivalent? really weird. It's a Pride and Prejudice without a Mr. Darcy. Based on the plot I read on your book, on the description, it did not seem like a Pride and Prejudice she remake. Just, she goes around judging everybody and then the book ends. It's really weird. Now, in order to justify, so Pride and Prejudice, uh, much like Teenage Boys' Lives, is is revolving around balls. Mm, right? Yes, 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 yes. And so in order to justify the existence of balls <laughs> in modern day Texas, uh, our our Elizabeth Bennett joins a debutante society forced oh, into it by her okay. mother because... Do those still exist? Yes, it's disgusting. That's unfortunate. Um, instead of being this sort of man marriage crazy mother that I saw in the movie, this mother is very like... I suppose in 2021, we will call her, or 2020, we will call her a Karen. Like, she she meant to marry rich, but didn't end up quite as rich as she wanted, and she might get plastic surgery soon, and she's very concerned with status and appearance. Okay. And so she's she's pitched to be a little bit insane, which is what, like, the mom and Pride and Prejudice I've led to believe is also uh, pitched to be. And so she involves our Elizabeth Bennet in a debutante society, and our Elizabeth Bennet uh, much like the the books, I'm assuming, uh, is not one leaning towards that sort of debutante ball sort of society. How old is the Lizzie Bennet character supposed the to be? The Lizzie Bennet, which once again is named Megan, Megan uh, yeah. is a college junior. Um, I she plays. Don't really feel like that's debutante age. Yeah, it's a little old, but. You know, it's it fiction. Doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um, and so she plays college soccer at Southern Methodist University. And when I read the first uh, scene of her playing soccer, I said, "Ah, shit! A book trying to describe sports. This yeah. sucks because sports are not meant for books." 
It, I'm sorry, folks. I like sports, and I seem to believe that I like books despite <laughs> my uh, actions towards them, but it, they just don't match. And to the book's credit, it does seem to actually understand most about soccer. Like, it doesn't say goalkeeper or something yeah. like that. It says just keeper or goalie. Both are acceptable. Uh, and so it seems to understand sports or soccer enough, but it also does a good job of saying, like, the ball or the game started and I did a thing. And then it cuts Game of Thrones style to the next after post scene yeah. and recaps what Which is happened. the only appropriate way to write sports in a book. Yeah, you can't do second by second. No, it's terrible. And so she is undebutantedly because she's like, she's got thighs like tree trunks. Yeah. And she's got a farmer's tan and she's got scars on her legs from playing soccer. And it's, it's the main thing that kept me from launching into this book, because it's well written. I actually did not take a lot of the highlights I usually take to point out how yeah. terrible it is, is that she comes from a, a family that owns hundreds of acres near Dallas uh basically is super duper rich um and is now going in a debutante society that uh professes these these sort of mores and rules that are completely foreign to modern day society okay and so much like pride and prejudice i thought to myself why the fuck do i want to learn about these people (laughs) why do i want to spend my time here i don't care at all and truth be told i still didn't by the end but it was a pretty good, funny book. Okay. I actually do recommend you read this. Susan. Okay. Okay. I know I've then said I that. Then won't, I won't ask for too many pressing questions about yes, the specifics. But, to but the next. yeah. So in my book, the oh, you never answered the question. How do we get Bingley Darcy? Oh, so uh, at the debutante thingy, there's multiple women. There's six women. Two of them, by the way, are named Ashley, which is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> given the uh, the the abundance of Ashley, yeah, the bachelor bachelorette sort of contestants. Uh, but I think it's just a great bit to have a book where you can name your characters anything, and you name two of them the same <laughs> thing. Especially when the name is Ashley. It's just a great bit. I don't know. I I kind of want to write a book where just two of the characters are named Mark or whatever, and it's just never remarked upon. They're just both Mark. Do they have to go by Ashley G and Ashley C or whatever? They are (laughs) Ashley 1 and Ashley 2 to Megan's eyes. And they are differentiated because one's a terrible person. She is the Bingley, uh, you know. Caroline Bingley. No, she's not the Bingley figure. Uh, She's like the, if Bingley is the Regina George. Yes. She's one of the other mean girls with. Okay. So Caroline Bingley is a debutante in the ball thing the the sort of season yeah the season the scene and then the uh mr bingley is her brother zach okay and just like in pride and prejudice megan's sister the lizzie bennett stand-in the jane Jane, yeah the jane bennett stand-in falls in love with the bingley stand-in's brother and it all makes sense and uh it follows a similar pattern truth be told uh but i think it did Although a stupid thing that I'm not interested in ever hearing about ever and I think should be eradicated from the face of the earth, it did come up with a plausible modern day reason to have all these grand balls, I guess. So that's the Bingley figure as a different debutante in this sort of competition type thing. Okay. So mine is very different, uh, as I'm sure you can guess. So we encounter (laughs) the Bingleys and Darcy because Darcy... 
So in my book, Darcy is... Oh, the... oh, sorry. I did not I did not actually ever explain who Darcy is in my book. Darcy is the boyfriend of the Bingham... Bingley? Bingley uh, lady. He okay. is Because in the original... She's trying to get with him, but he's not interested in well, her. Well, yes, that is also oh, the plot, okay, okay, but okay. like he's pitched as her date to all these events. Okay. And he is her a, beau. Her beau. He is a billionaire. His name is Andrew Gage. Uh, now the name popped and the face, and I realized why this my first date, who is the cousin Stanton, yeah, Hunter, was so effusive. He loves. He meets uh, the the fucking. Bingham? Darcy. Oh, he's Darcy. the Darcy Stanton. Andrew Gage appeared occasionally in weekly magazines under headlines like America's Hottest Bachelors or 30 Billionaires Under 30. And this is where it's like, that's really stupid. That doesn't exist in real life. But at the same time, it's very funny because the author continues. Not that I bought that kind of trash. Like most self-respecting people, I thumbed through them in the line at the supermarket, <laughs> then put them back. All right. That's funny. That's funny. Um, I also do find it interesting that, A, he's a billionaire under 30. I just don't find that super plausible unless he inherited, inherited all his, his money. Wealth. And also, like most billionaires. also, that he would be an under 30 billionaire and hanging around the debutante scene instead of just at a bunch of nightclubs. Well, he seems to be very proud. Uh, maybe if only prejudiced. He, if he only runs on anybody prejudiced. So in my book, we run into the Bingleys and Darcy because Darcy is the head of Pemberley Estate. And he, his former dragon has passed on. And so they had an they had egg. They had to say goodbye to the dragon. They had an egg, but then someone stole the egg. <gasps> and so Darcy is trying to find the egg because if a dragon with the power of a fire drake hatches without human presence it will not imprint leaving us with a wild dragon seeking to fill its belly with the most convenient prey so he has to save england from his own dragon correct <clears throat> but um every time you say darcy i just want you to know that i'm imagining darcy carden who played uh, <laughs> she would be an excellent darcy darcy bing so he comes to this part of the country because he believes this is where the egg is. He tries to seek out the local dragon keepers for their help. And so he goes to see Mr. Bennett, Elizabeth's father, and Bennett is not into it because Bennett says, I find it difficult to respect a man careless enough to have a dragon egg, an estate dragon's egg, and a fire drake, no less, stolen from his own home. So Bennett is going to- I bet to the military man did it. You're right. Yay! You're right. Do you remember his name? <laughs> no! Wickham! Wickham. So, Mr. Bennett is going to help Darcy because it is the thing that needs to happen so there's not a giant dragon loose, but he is not happy about it. There actually, I have several reasons that I may get into for predicting that in the end, the plot twist of this version is that the dad winds up being the bad guy. <gasps> That's actually what I think happens at the end of this trilogy. Like Bennett's um, dad? Like Elizabeth Bennett. Bennett. Yeah. 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 Mr. Bennett. Oh, wow. I think he winds up being the bad guy. Um, 
similar to your book, I, there are some funny parts of this too. There's some good humor. Um, there is a, a species of dragon, a, a flavor of dragon called a fairy dragon. They're very small with high-pitched ah, voices. You can't target them with spells and hearthstone. And uh, the father, Mr. Bennett, describes them as saying they eat, they sleep, they preen, and they chatter. Not entirely unlike a house full of young daughters, I might add. Which hey is sort of like his whole thing in the book is that he's like mildly overwhelmed by his family. <laughs> um, so another big plot point... Um, in the, in, in Pride and Prejudice is that, as I mentioned earlier, the estate is going to be entailed away to a cousin of Mr. Bennett because his daughters can't inherit Longbourn. And so in Pride and Prejudice, it is a man named Mr. Collins, who is a clergyman. Um, he has a, a station in, in Rosings, Rosings, and his, uh, he's under the proprietorship or whatever you call it of Lady Catherine de Bourgh who he's obsessed with and he is just sort of this ridiculous over-the-top creature mm -hmm. is there a Mr. Collins substitute in your book there is indeed but he fulfills none of the character points only sort of the plot points and the the I guess some of the character points he is not a priest he's he's a little bit ridiculous and overly formal and a little bit overly business-like and familiar uh, his name is Hunter something something uh, and he is uh, our Megan's first date, more or less arranged, and he seems to be kind of into her, as in the movie I was led to believe. Mm -hmm. He tries to propose marriage. Not in the book. He he says, I'm into you, and, and our, our Lizzie is sort of just like, eh, nah. nah. Yeah. Um, and just like the book and movie, I, or the movie and book, I assume. Uh, he ends up with the least attractive of the uh, bet or of the debutantes, which is uh, Megan's cousin, who is minorly overweight but rocks it during her party with a figure-fitting gown. Ooh. Uh, and so he, there, they like do a whole thing, and in the same way where in the movie. <laughs> she comes to him and tells him I'm married. I'm engaged to this guy, and yeah. Lizzie Ben is like, "What?" And she's like, no, he's he's like a good enough guy, and I yeah. don't have a lot of prospects. And this one, it's like, no, I kind of like him, and he's really nice, and you never really asked me about him this whole yeah. time, and you're super self-centered, and so that's kind of the turning point for our Lizzie Bennet. Uh, so we do get the character traits, not exactly the character yeah. history. You also, and I appreciate this, you also get the Charlotte Lucas, because I really like the character, the, that's yes, her I, friend, I, I she winds up, yeah, yeah, I, I really like that character. Not in a ton of detail. Uh, yeah. Is it her cousin in the book? No, it's just her friend. He is her cousin, or yes. her dad's cousin. Um, we combine then her, like, our, our Charlotte Lucas has the parents that are the gardeners. Yeah. Are, and yep. so they're the ones who take her to New York to, I almost said Gatsby. Um, Darcy? Darcy's uh, penthouse, which yeah. is supplanting his weird uh, home with all of the marble statues. Pemberley. That's the title of my book. Oh, sorry. So we do have Collins in this one too. It honestly is a pretty beat for beat plot point in a lot of ways, except they add the whole dragon thing in there. Yeah, no, just um, slide that right on in. So we do, like, Collins is sort of put out to be ridiculous, um, which is pretty funny. Um, the big conflict with Collins in this book is that Collins cannot hear dragons. And so that is a big point of contention because there has to be a keeper at Longbourn. There has to be someone who can hear dragons because not only are they getting the estate, they're getting the dragon. And so 
um, Mr. Bennett basically forces Elizabeth and says, whatever this guy is like, you have to marry him because you're going to essentially be the keeper. Yeah. Especially if he can't hear dragons and he can't. Um, but we do get the whole thing of him being like weirdly obsessed with Lady Catherine de Bourgh, his patroness. Um, and this is another funny line that we got in here. Uh, someone is talking about Lady Catherine de Bourgh and says she has only one daughter, the heiress of Rosings, and a very extensive property. She's a most charming young lady indeed. Lady Catherine herself says that in point of true beauty, Miss de Bourgh is far superior to the handsomest of her sex because there is that in her features which marks the young woman of distinguished birth. And then one of the other characters says under her breath, that means plain features and a big nose, which only fortune and substantial property can make beautiful. <laughs> which I did think was really funny. Um, but yeah, kind of the the same thing as in the book slash movie as in the original of um, the family trying to kind of force Elizabeth into a, a match with Mr. Collins because it would be beneficial to the family and she is having none of it. This sort of creates a lot of tension between Elizabeth and her father that is there in this book more than it is in the original source material. Um, and so we start calling out things that we don't like about Mr. Bennett. And this is interesting to me because I feel like in the original, in a lot of adaptations of Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Bennett is sort of just like... A harmless little goose. Yeah, affable. He's overwhelmed by affable, his family of women. Word. Yeah, I'm smart as hell. I know. Um, That's why I married you, baby. In this one, it's some of those traits are twisted to be a little bit more cynical. Um, they talk Gross. about the way that he uh, he subtly mocks his family and like they pick up wow. on it and they don't like it, which like, yes, he does, but it's it's called out in a way in this. Um, at one point he says to Elizabeth, do not interfere in business because you don't understand, in business you don't understand. It's times like these that I question the order's willingness to involve women in such weighty the matters. Order. Yeah, the dragon order. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, we, I will say, as you're finding your next highlight, we get the character, but it, he is picked up and dropped without any sort of family ties. It's like, oh, that's a good guy or whatever. Yeah. We spend much more time with Wimberly. Wickham. Wickham. Yeah. Uh, much, much more time. I would say probably about two thirds of the book is her dating him. Okay. So this is good. That was going to bring me to my next point. Another one of the big things in the probably first half of Pride and Prejudice is the arrival of the militia in Meryton. No such thing. Uh, his The excuse for him to be in the quote-unquote militia is that he goes to Texas A&M and joins basically the ROTC. ROTC, okay. The cadets. So there are officers around, in particular an officer named Wickham, uh, who Elizabeth is interested in and who also, it is hinted, has some sort of past with Darcy. Yes. How does that play out in yours? So, like I said, he's from A&M and he's, he's the... Uh, in basically the more or less the ROTC and it takes a while, but I'll tell you cause uh, I want to see if this is what it is in the uh, original thing. I will tell you uh, that the first time she meets him, our Megan is a, so our Lizzie is a history major at SMU, yep. uh, woman after my own heart, soccer and history. Uh, <laughs> and the first party, the first ball of the season is a 1920 sort of uh, speakeasy gala. Okay. And he shows up wearing an army's off or like an officer's coat to this thing. And she notices it and he says, yeah, I got it off of whatever. And it was a, uh, uh, you know, it's a World War II original. 
and the history major in both me and Megan would definitely have pointed out as yeah. acrobatic. Like you're you're twenty years too early there, bud. Uh, so that that doesn't quite stand up. Uh, I will say I want to point this out despite or before we move on is that this is very funny. This is a quite funny book. It's very sex positive. I like that. Without hanging, it's not. You never see any sex, and it it references a butt or whatever. But <laughs> it's there's never like a sex scene in it. Um, but when she's hanging out with the cousin character, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a wife in this whole thing. And she's like, um, she tells a joke to diffuse the tension. And her joke is, I'm just here for the sex. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Uh, later she goes condom shopping. She has off screen more like emotionally meaningful, but not plot meaningful sex with Wickham. Sorry to spoil that part, but it's, it's off screen. And cause she's a college woman and he's a professional man. They have sex together. It's fine. And so it's kind of nice. Um, but any who's her Wickham, what are we, what was I going to be reading about Wickham? Um, Oh, why, why he's related to the Darcy character. Uh, so he's related to the Darcy character in that he came from a not so great home and sort of adapted to school as a second home, made it into Harvard. And he references that basically if you don't have enough to go to Harvard, they love you and will pay for it for you. Like it's if you have barely enough to go to Harvard that you're in trouble. Yeah. And so he gets to go to Harvard for more or less free, uh, references the, uh, housing manager is having a sense of humor so he gets put together with gage gage or the darcy character darcy character takes him home for thanksgiving meets the dad dad loves him like in the book and says we'll go into business together dad dies unexpectedly and then when he goes home for christmas and this is where i want to this is maybe spoiling the book i want you to read more or less but i want to see if it's in the book if not the movie the wickham character has We'll just go ahead and call it statue, statutory rape sex with the sister. Also in the book. Okay. And then blames her for going crazy on him and putting everything on his shoulders. Yeah, more or less. Um, it's basically like Wickham had like Wickham seduces Georgiana yes. and who's just Georgie in tries to get her to run away with him, but they get found out and yeah, yeah they just do it a whole lot, which is yeah. kind of even better for 2016 where they're just like fucking all the time and not trying to get married. And yeah. so that's a little bit more true to life. Still gross. Uh, but tells this whole story, whole story to our Lizzie character as if the, the sister came to him and like tried to claw his eyes out. Yep. Thing. And that All also right. rings true is like Wickham spins the story to Elizabeth about like, yes. I was wronged. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she finds him out, finds him out as normal. Uh, I do want to shout this out before we move on to it. Uh, the next plot point is that uh, in the, it's the scene in the movie, I don't know where it falls in the book, the scene in the movie where they're sitting uh, waiting for her older sister to get better. Yeah. And he's writing a letter, but yeah. instead of, that it's uh, the two of them, her sister and the... The Bingley. The Bingley boy are off on a, like a gator cart ride. Okay. Uh, and she's sitting around a pool and then Lauren, the debutante that represents Mrs. Bingley. Yeah, Miss Bingley. Bingley. Uh, and then Gage, the, the Darcy, are sitting around and they come to the pool with her. And so Darcy, of course, uh, can quote... The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, an 18th century history book. Okay. Uh, because our our main character is a history major reading a different book about the his, the Roman Empire. Um, 
But then, you know, Lauren, the the Bingley character, is there in her perfect white tiny bikini, and she's so hot and tan, whereas our character has thunder thighs because yeah. she's like muscly. And then Farmer's it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, and so she's reasonably uh, self-conscious. Yeah. Not like, I'm really fucking hot, but for some reason I don't like being really fun. It's like, no, I'm hot in a specific way, but it's not the way that, you know, yeah. this person... And also I have very odd tan lines exactly. at this pool. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the, the you know, uh, Darcy is supposed to be proud, right? Yeah. They were both so easy to dislike. Lauren, the over-nice rich bitch, and Andrew, the proud, silent and aloof, and this is the part that killed me. They certainly deserved each other and would no doubt spawn cold but perfectly formed children. (laughs) (laughs) So it's pretty good. Um, That's pretty good. And so I think that might be where I have to stop telling you about my book. That actually works out pretty well because we are reaching the end of my book. So... Where we get the Wickham connection in mine is that, as in the original source material, um, Wickham and Darcy have a connection. Is he going to hunt the dragon? Yes, sort of. Oh. So um, this is how Darcy explains the connection with Wickham. He tried first to steal my sister, elope with her. I stopped that and banished him from Pemberley Ground, sending him into the militia. I was assured by the head of the order it would be enough to protect my sister and Pemberley Keep. It never occurred to me that he, he was not bound by the law of the order, he could not actually hear. So the whole time, um, Wickham was pretending that he could hear dragons. He actually can't, but he knows about them. So he's kind of a con man. When he could not take my sister's fortune, he went after something of greater value. He knew the grounds of Pemberley well enough to sneak in and steal the egg. So it is Wickham who stole the egg. Nailed it. Good job. You got it. So they essentially, like, they track the egg down and bring it back to Longbourn. Does does our Lizzie character ever fall in love with Wickham in any way? Like, She is definitely interested in Wickham. But she gets distracted pretty quickly with the events of the egg. So she meets Wickham. She likes Wickham. She believes Wickham's side of the story. But almost immediately gets so embroiled in this whole egg drama that we don't really get any of the interpersonal stuff. Yeah. So they find the egg. They bring it back to Longbourn, the drag, the Bennett Dragon's cavern. Um, and it hatches. <gasps> it hatches with no humans there. And so they're at the Netherfield ball that the, that Bingley has thrown. Um, and Darcy and Elizabeth find out from their their little dragons. Um, oh, of course, they, the they little dragons. crash into the party to tell them that the egg has hatched. So they go tearing off to try to find the egg. Darcy is convinced that because the egg hatched without a human there, that he's going to have to kill... The dragon, this dragon who is supposed to be his estate dragon. But Elizabeth comes in and saves the day because she has learned, um, she doesn't study like the historical dragon lore, but she's very practical and she's learned a lot about working with dragons. And so she has a theory that it's not the first thing that they see after they hatch, but it's the first meal that they eat that causes them to imprint. Ah, And so she saves the dragon from being killed by the other dragons and also from Darcy with the sword. Um, And they are, they sort of raise this dragon together through its first month or so of life. Um, Then 
the book essentially ends at that point. So mm-hmm. Pemberley, the the new dragon, and Darcy are going to go back to his estate um, so that he can, you know, get her settled. And that's where we end the first book. And so Elizabeth already at this point is, I think she believes Darcy's side of the story. She's interested in him. But then he's leaving, so she's not really sure what to do. She's very frustrated with her father because she does not want to marry Mr. Collins, and Mr. Collins is still there, and that's kind of where we end things. Wow, nice. But Elizabeth Bennet saves the day. Very nice. I have to to fill the rest, of, maybe not fill the rest of our time, but to to continue going, I'm going to spoil a little bit of this book okay. to, to find out with more Pride and Prejudice. In Pride and Prejudice, does the uh, Julia, who's the- Jane? Oh, Jane. Does the Jane character have a crazy ex-boyfriend? No. In this book, she has a crazy ex-boyfriend. It leads to the worst part of the book, uh, wherein she goes to jail for little to no reason in real life, but we have to have conflict. Because in the in the in the movie, there's conflict about her going to London and, and yeah. stuff like that. He leaves because he doesn't think she's into him, and then yeah. she goes to London because she's into him. But she tells his sister that she's in London, but the sister doesn't tell him that yeah. she's in London, so he doesn't know. It's exactly. the whole thing. Our gazebo moment where they're standing in the rain yeah. in the gazebo, and he's looking sadly at her and being a sort of, uh, who, who was it? A John Cusack. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Pokemon pre-evolution John Cusack uh, staring at her instead is in New York where she trapes through snow and slush and she's basically frozen and he's not because he didn't. And so instead of him being incredibly wet. Yeah. <laughs> she's incredibly wet. Gross. Um, very gross. Uh, but to spoil another thing, this is how Darcy makes his money. In the uh, book, this book version, and this is the nicest way I've ever, well, okay, this is the nicest way I've ever heard this thing uh, explained, and I want to see if you can name what the thing is. He nodded. Zach, the Bingley, and I, we take on older buildings, rehabilitate them, make them useful again. Factories, houses, malls, you'd be amazed what's been abandoned, thrown away, but there's always a way to rethink it, repurpose it. He's a professional gentrifier. <laughs> exactly. He makes his billions off of gentrification and we're supposed to see it as like, oh, he really gets it though. And it's like, no, bud, that's gentrification. That's disappointing. That's more or less disappointing. But guess what? Anybody who has a billion dollars got it through questionable means because there's no more way. Or inherited it. In, uh, that's well, also indubitably, means, yeah. uh, there is no moral way to have a billion dollars or more. Did you know, by the way, that if billionaires themselves paid every American $3,000, they would still have more money than they started with before the pandemic? That's Fantastic. so distressing. Indeed. So, Susan, despite that, I do actually want you to read this book. It is I, legitimately funny. I think I will. It is. I want to I want to bring up yours was kind of dumb, right? It was yeah. like, you know, bibliophile. Dragons. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Laura. Um, because I found a good one. Uh so this is a rare week where we both found good books for each other. <laughs> uh it is funny more than any other book in my life. It's not the best book I've ever read. Yeah. But more than any other book in my life, it explained what's fun about being a woman. And I know that sounds really stupid, but like, I'm not a woman. I don't get like the fun girly things like 
they they put on a dress that she thinks is gonna suck and then it fits really well yeah it's a good feeling and then she like goes so floofy around her feet that it looks like she's ice skating so she just sort of like shuffles around the room <laughs> and they're cute. all screaming like yeah and i'm like i get this this yeah. is what's fun that's really cute <laughs> and more than about what's fun to be a woman it explains why women like what like the darcy in the movie yeah is just silent and weird the entire time and then he says i love you in the rain and we're supposed to like fall for him or whatever. the kira knightley movie version darcy is terrible okay well I, that's all you know yeah i blame pride and prejudice for a lot of terrible romances in books but this book even to the fucking military man i can never remember the wickham. name wickham even the wickham character it explains what it doesn't explain but it shows why she falls for him like it, yeah you get it you're there like there are oh, compelling cool. things about yeah, people you, and it, it explains not just like oh he's really fucking hot like most of our bibliography like most of our bibli- like you get he's funny and he's, he's smart charming. and he's charming and he seems to know what he's doing and it explains and shows it tells and shows why women fall for the men they do uh which i have never really like this is i sound like such a little hermit or whatever but like i've never really understood at least of all why you were in love with me <laughs> when i make you do this weird podcast because but, like, you're funny and charming oh, shucks. <laughs> but this book really like the fact that it showed me why women like have a good time in groups of women and why women fall in love with the men they do while still being a more readable version of Pride and Prejudice than Pride and Prejudice, because I read it in only a couple of days, and it doesn't involve a lot of paragraph-long conversation monologues, uh, it's great. Okay. So I actually really liked up. this book. I think this would be a good January or February reread. I like, have good news about the cold. calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have, we're doing nothing for the entirety of 2021. I was wrong, though. It does get all the way to the end of Pride and Prejudice. It does. It really takes like, so it takes super long getting to what I'm going to assume, assume. It takes super long getting to act two of Pride and Prejudice is act three of this book, if that makes sense. Interesting. So like the gazebo conversation is at like 78% of the way through this book. And yeah. then the rest of it is kind of rushed through. But holy shit, are you rooting for the main character yeah. by the end of it? It's pretty great. Okay. So if if you want to read a Pride and Prejudice that doesn't involve an entire paragraph worth of longing at a time, read The Season by two men. Good work by them. Uh, I'm going to assume by the name. Jonah, Lisa Dyer, and Stephen Dyer uh, wrote The Season. And so, like, it's, it's pretty dang good work. We have an intro, so you don't need to name your book. Oh, I was just going to say, if you want to read a version of Pride and Prejudice that has a lot of the exact same dialogue and every single plot point, but also adds dragons... Just don't, actually. Just don't, don't actually. Don't read Pemberley. I just want to mention the last... Uh, three books that my wife has read my wife is very smart these are the most recent three books on her kindle well, these are they're just in order alpha by author oh okay yeah well alpha by author which is alliterative uh the new jim crow by michelle alexander persuasion by jane austen and jane Eyre by charlotte bronte uh so good work by her i assumed because that's our book club book that yeah. that was a recent one uh i want to apologize to laura from switzerland i know she's from switzerland i've been guilty this entire episode that i got it wrong i know i know that it's challenging to live in switzerland but at least the flag's a big plus oh jeez. 
And I need you to ad lib for a second while I get my phone because I need I need to oh. tell you about your next biblical. Okay, I will go ahead and drop your next biblical. Uh, loyalish listener Katie Twile, she's a binge listener. Has uh, we've actually both received recommendations to our next episode. I'm sorry, Katie. I am going to look into your book very much so. But I have one that is just too good that I sent to other loyal uh, listener, Michelle Johnson. And uh, uh, I'm going to draw it up right now so that I'm ready to go. Uh, Iowa City's public library does not provide a bookmark function. Uh, so I had to send it to Michelle Johnson uh, to have her. And she responded with uh, five uh, exclamation points, which is not a very Michelle reaction because she's... Uh, an understated texter sometimes. Sometimes. Um, I are you sure? I wouldn't say five exclamation points. I'd say understated in that she texts a bunch. Yes. Uh, but Susan, I'm going to go ahead and get you Six Gun Snow White. Uh, her oh, parents... Oh, Christ. A retelling, because you got me onto this little keyword, a retelling of Snow White sit in the gritty gunslinging West. Her parents were a Nevada silver baron who forced the crow people to give up one of their most beautiful daughters, Gun That Sings, in marriage to him. Her mother's life ended as hers began. Our narrator, born into the world with no place for a half-native, half-white child, is hidden f the best way to sum up a, a, a Snow White story is uh, through uh, social justice, uh, is hidden for years by a very wicked stepmother who gifts her with the name Snow White, referring to the pale skin she will never have. Now she's a gunslinger in the West that's wilder than any you can evoke. So five exclamation points. Thanks, I hate it. Michelle Johnson. Okay, I just sent you the G-chat of yours. Go, so, ahead, go ahead and open it up. Uh, so uh, up. Nate go has gone behind and sent me a different yeah, Iowa City. Yeah, my friend Nate has uh, has introduced me to this book. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hope Never Dies is an escapist fantasy that will likely appeal to liberals pining for the... The previous administration, you know, I'm look, I'm looking to go back pre-Trump so that I can uh, eventually, in two years, get back to Trump. Longing for the Obama-Biden team to emerge from political retirement as action heroes, Vice President Joe Biden and President Barack Obama team up in this high-stakes, thrilling fucking shit <laughs> that combines a mystery worth of Watson and Holmes with a laugh-out-loud bromantic chemistry of lethal weapons, Murtaugh and Riggs. Uh, guess, guess what? Guess what? Vice President Joe Biden is fresh out of the Obama White House and feeling adrift when his favorite railroad conductor dies in a suspicious accident, leaving behind an ailing wife and a trail of clues. To unravel the mystery, Amtrak Joe redeems the only man he's ever fully trusted. Well, you can be sure that Joe Biden will really want to put whoever did it in jail for an inordinate amount of time. As long as he's a super predator. Part noir thriller and part bromance, Hope Never Dies is essentially the first published work of Obama-Biden fiction. And the last! Yeah. And a cathartic read for anyone distressed by the current state of affairs who possibly... I am going to go ahead and borrow this for you because I don't want the thing to happen where I get you a book and then you wait too long. Sorry, sorry go back. Apparently there's a, a book uh, recommended to me right now called office grump <laughs> i don't want to get it for you but oh my god uh -huh. office grump with a man with the most fash haircut i've ever seen in my life <laughs> and a pink tie 
uh, is on the is on the uh, cover of this, and the the plot is my quote unquote interview. Oh shit! With <laughs> Boss Hole Supreme, his w- his name anything is but normal. Magnus Heron. Magnus Heron. Oh, the. Are bi- you sure you don't want me to read this instead of? Snow White Gunslinger. Yes, because this is too easy. I bet this is like 95 pages and half of them are him late. 484 pages. Oh, shit. I'm pretty sure that still half of them are him going to be laying pipe. It's not the impossibly long air hours working under Grumpzilla. It's not e- the fact that this is, what is that song? Uh, you drive, oh. There's some fucking 80s pop song that sounds like this. It's not the fact that he's snarly, demanding, horribly rich, and chiseled. It's not even the pesky way he makes me blush every flipping time we're together. I'm sorry, I'd like to introduce you, Sue, to a little list on my Amazon known as Bibliovile Next Up. Uh, so, welcome, Office Grump. Uh, Mag is my boss. I'm his lowly assistant. Some rules are carved in stone. That's my mantra until we're sharing a sunset too beautiful for life, alone with the wandering lisp, lips, excuse me, whispered secrets and disaster in the making. The plan was simple. Punch the clock, get paid, keep hating my boss. What's the blueprint when the Office Grump brings me to my knees and I'm willing to bet that's not been defeat? That's blowjobs, baby! The boss man from Hades meets the hellion he totally can't stand until he can't live without her. What's the song I'm thinking of? Why do we do this show? It's very stupid. What's the song I'm thinking of? I have uh, no idea what you're thinking of. Oh, shit. I'll patch it in when I think of it. Okay. I love every single one of you guys. Thank I you, hope you Laura. never stop sharing. We know you're from Switzerland. We know you're from Switzerland. Uh, I hope you never stop sharing the show with other people. It looks like our mic is dying. So we are going to immediately after we are done recording, we are going to purchase a new microphone. Oh, that's news to me, baby, but that's what we're going to do. So you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Dikima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And at Susan J, that's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. You can follow the Twitter at Bibliovile. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. And some of you may recognize our outro music starting now. Good night, Katie.